The following Women's Spaces show was recorded on Monday, April 19th, 2021. The woman in your life will do what she must do To comfort you and calm you down And let you rest now The woman in your life, she can rest so easily She does everything you do because the woman in your life is you Hello, everybody, and welcome to Women's Spaces. My name is Elaine B. Holtz, and I'm your host. With me at the board is my friend, my partner, my engineer, and co-producer, Ken Norton. Good morning, Ken. Good morning. What a beautiful day it is here in Sonoma County. Well, I have a very special guest with me today on the phone uh, will be Esther Freeman, a local activist and teacher who is the daughter of uh, Blanca Weiss. Uh, Blanca survived the Nazi Germany Holocaust. Cost. Uh, when we talk about war, there really is no victor, but there are many victims, and often their uh, her- heroic aspect of the war is made visible and not showing the invisible and aftermath of war and how folks are affected. For me, what World War II demonstrated, particularly the Nazi regime, is to really see the depths of horror that human beings can cause for one another. And and what what prejudice does, what calling somebody the other does, and how it can not only affect but influence everybody. It is my hope that if we have a deeper understanding of what happened uh, because of this interview, we will stop and reflect. You know, and look at our world today. I mean, I cannot believe that we've had another horrible shooting. A young boy by the name of Al Adam Toledo, 13 years old. I mean, we had a shooting here uh, in, uh, I believe it was 2013, with young Andy Lopez, who was also 13 years old, uh, around a gun issue. And uh, it's just so hard to believe, you know, that these young people are being killed in the street like this. And, you know, I know there's lots of stuff going on about this young man. Oh, why was he up late at night? Or what was going on? Why was there a gun? You know, the bottom line is, you know, you got to remember when you were 13 years old, you know, how you did it. I mean, I know for myself, my mother could never control me, and I used to sneak out at night, and they didn't even know I was I was gone. That's how clever I was, and I know how young people can be. So before we pass any judgment on him, the first thing that we have to think is this is a 13-year-old young, young, young man whose life is just barely beginning. And also from the video footage that I saw, his hands were definitely up in the air when the officer shot him right in the chest. I mean, it's heartbreaking. And when you look at what happened in Nazi Germany during the Holocaust, you know, they had no value for youth, no value for children, no value for babies. I mean, so, you know, we really have to start looking at things and asking ourselves a question, because if war was the answer, if violence was the answer, you know, we would have had peace a long time ago. You know, the best thing we can do is come together as a country, as a nation, internationally, and ask ourselves, what is going on, and why? Why are we having all these wars? Why is this all this brutality, this violence going on? And why are our young people being shot in the streets? 
I mean, it really is heartbreaking. Anyway, you know, just a reminder, you know, a very, very interesting about April. April is Sexual Assault Awareness Month, S-A-A-M. It's an annual campaign to raise public awareness about sexual assault and educate communities and individuals on how to prevent sexual violence. It is observed all of April. You know, it's it's very, very interesting when you start thinking about things. You know, you start looking at things and you start re- researching things, how much violence there's actually going on in the world today. You know, last week I read a thing called The Code, uh, Ten Intentions for a Better World. And I, I, I went through it very, you know, went through all the ten intentions, but I did not give any meaning to any of them. So I thought for the next few shows I would... Just talk about one or two of them and kind of remind people what it's about and maybe give you something to think about because we need to improve. We need to improve our relationships, not only with ourselves, but with our fellow, our fellow human beings. Well, the first intent was, was to support life. And there's an affirmation that goes with it. And it says, I refrain from opposing or harming anyone. I allow others to have their own experiences. I see life in all things and honor it as if it were my very own. I support life. What a beautiful thought. I support life. You know, as a woman, I bring life into the world. You know, I went out to, to lunch with my daughter, my great-granddaughter, my my daughter my daughter my granddaughter in law I've been trying to get all these different things thoughts in my mind about exactly who I was with, but I mean family, and there were four generations of us, and I thought to myself, My goodness, this is what life is all about, but we all need to support it and enjoy it and love it and recognize that life is beyond our family, everybody has life, everybody wants to live, everybody wants to support and be with one another. And the second intent, which I think is very, very interesting, is seek truth. I follow my inner compass and discard any beliefs that are no longer serving me. I go to the source. I seek truth. Boy, I'll tell you, I need this one. I follow my inner compass and discard my beliefs that no longer are serving me. I go to the source. I seek truth. Very, very interesting, looking within, finding out who you are and how you can contribute to the world. And just to let folks know that the uh, the code, the 10 intentions for a better world are all listed on our website, womenspaces, www.womenspaces.com. And the next week I will be uh, reading two more, and then each week I will be reading two until I read all 10. Well, as we do every week... Uh, our history is our strength. Why do I do that? You know, why, why is that important? Because to demonstrate that we are standing on the shoulders of so many interesting women that sacrifice so much. I was just listening to Amy Goodman about this, this woman, this uh, police officer that stood up and then ended up being fired and had to go to court and all these different things. What a brave woman. And we're standing on the shoulders of these women who decided to speak out and to do something to help make it a better world, not only for our but for our children, and not only for our children, but future generations. And we need to honor them. And also, for me, when I do the research and I find these different women, it actually gives me a lot more confidence to stand up and step
step out and say what I need to say. You know, it's not easy to be a woman. I remember uh, Shirley Chisholm, when she was running for president, they asked her, Miss Chisholm, what's harder? Is it harder to be a woman or an African-American? She says, oh, by far a woman. I mean, and we know how African-American people have struggled. For her to say it was harder to be a woman than even for her to be black really expresses what it's like for women to stand up and to make a difference. Well, today's April 19th. And in, on April 19, 1977, 15 women in the House of Representatives formed the Congressional Caucus for Women's Issues. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Nine, we got the vote in uh, 1920, and it took us almost 50 years before the House of Representatives finally formed a Congressional Caucus for Women's Issues. But at least it happened. It happened. And then, of course, coming up on April 22nd is Earth Day. And uh, this is the day we honor Rachel Carson, a woman who changed America and greatly influenced the environmental movement with her revolutionary book, Silent Spring. My goodness, if we would have listened to her, we would have been in a lot better position than we are today. I mean, looking at climate change and some of the things that are going on. And I can't believe it. Not only climate change, but it feels like the last two weeks, every other day, there was some sort of shooting. You know, eight people just got killed. I mean, it's just, it, it, it's just stunning. It, it's stunning to me. Well, another thing happened here. Uh, happy birthday. Let's do a happy birthday because on April 23rd, 1933, that's when she was born and she made her transition in 2011, was Anna Aisley. She was an African-American computer scientist, mathematician, and rocket scientist, one of the first African-American Americans to work as a computer scientist at NASA, a leading member of the team which developed software for the for the uh, rocket stage, for the, it's called Centuria, C-E-N-T-A-U-R, rocket stage. Amazing, an African-American woman here in, uh, and she was born April 23rd, 19, uh, 1933, and made her transition 2011. Happy birthday to Jane Lee, who was born on April 24th. Uh, Lee was a Chinese activist in Revolution of 1911. She came to San Francisco on a student visa in 1922 to Mills College, became a translator and journalist, and worked in the 1930s with the YWCA to find jobs for Chinese women. You know, it's very important that when I do our history is ourself, is that I try to bring as many different ethnic groups in for, for women that I can. And here we have we have the the, the Women's Caucus, uh, the Congressional Caucus for Women's Issues was started, but that was an integrated group. Uh, here we have a Caucasian woman, Rachel Carson, who was famous for writing Sil- uh, Silent Spring. We have an, Ara- an African-American woman who was a computer scientist, and here we have Jane Lee, who came all the way from, uh, from uh, China to... Uh, the United States in 1922 and ends up uh, finding jobs and doing so much for Chinese women. So it's just amazing. So uh, my big shout out to these four women and I'm glad that they stood up because in their standing up, let me tell you something that made it much easier for me to be on the radio. And many, many women. When you look today, how many women are in broadcasting? I mean, at one time, you couldn't even see one. I think Barbara Walters was the only one we ever saw. You thought only one woman, one journalist. So it's amazing what has happened today. 
Now, on a funny side, <laughs> every once in a while, I think it's well worth uh, well worth mentioning. You know what day it is? Well, it turns out that on April nineteenth is National Garlic Day. And, you know, I found some interesting trivia. Did you know that Egyptians worshipped garlic as a god? I didn't know that. They even used it at currency. <laughs> kind of smelly money, don't you think? That's not all. Garlic supposedly gave strength to Greek athlete, athletes and warriors and warded off the evil eye and protected uh, maidens from evil nymphs, not to mention uh, vampires. So happy National Garlic Day! And when we were driving down to the studio, what, what's the name of the uh, what's the name of the uh, Gilroy? Gilroy must be very happy because that's where they really celebrate uh, uh, National Garlic Day. <laughs> it's just kind of funny. Well, we have a lot to cover today. We have a lot to cover today with uh, my special guest that's coming on. So we're going to take a musical break, and the song I'm going to play is oh, it's one of my. It's it's one of my favorite songs because it really expresses it really expresses what happened and how people felt during the during the Nazi regime. It's called "By My Silence" and it's sung by Ellen Buxtel and Nick Annis. Um, Pardon? We got Sonia up here. Sonia. Oh, Sonia. Hmm. I I guess it's I guess I I picked somebody else to do. Is that "By My Silence"? Yeah, oh, okay, by Sonia. Well, actually, it was written by uh, Ellen Bookstale and Nick Annis, so we'll give them credit for that. And, you know, it's it's based on um, Martin Numa, let's see, let's see Niemöller's, uh, who was born um, January 14th, 1892, and made his uh, transition in March 6, 1984. Uh, he, it's based on his poem. He was a German theologian and Lutheran pastor. He is best known uh, for his opposition to the Nazi regime during the late 1930s and for his widely quoted 1946 poem. Here we go. First they came. The poem exists in many versions. The one featured in the United States Holocaust Memorial reads, first they came for the socialists, and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak out. And that's what this song is all based on. So let's go ahead and listen to By My Silence, uh, sung by Sonia. And when we return, we will be talking with Esther Friedman and about her mother, Blanca, who was a survivor of the Holocaust. One, two... So when they came for the communists, I held my tongue Like a good neighbor, I minded my own business And trusted justice was done I didn't ask what was their crime It was their sadness, it was not mine I didn't care where they were sent By my silence, I gave my consent by my silence, I gave my consent. I'm not Jewish, so when they came for the 
choose, I had nothing to say. Branded with stars, herded like cattle into boxcars, and then taken away. I didn't ask what was their crime, it was their sadness, it was not mine. I didn't care where they were sent, but my silence gave my my silence I gave my consent that there's really something to think about well for you just joining I want to remind my listeners the opinions expressed here are not necessarily the opinions of the station its board of directors its members and women's spaces well welcome back you're listening to women's spaces and I am your host Elaine B. Holt, and without further ado, I want to introduce my guest. Joining me on the phone is Esther Freeman. Good morning, Esther, and welcome. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's a delight. And just come a little bit closer to your phone and so we can hear you better. But before we begin, Esther, I would like to tell my listeners a bit about you. Is that okay? Sure. Can you hear me better now? Yes, much better. Esther Freeman... Okay. Esther Freeman is a longtime peace and social justice activist. She is a retired special education teacher. She was born and raised in Pasadena, California. Her mother, Blanca, was born in Hungary and was a, a survivor of the Auschwitz concentration camp during World War II. Except for a sister, her mother's whole family dur- died during that time. Her father was born in Poland and came to the United States, fortunately, before World War II. Her brother is an ultra-Orthodox religious Jew who lives in Los Angeles. Esther wrote her mother's story of growing up, being in the concentration camp, and life after liberation. She pairs it with a PowerPoint and presents it to middle and high school students as as the educational component of the Alliance for the Study of the Holocaust at Sonoma State University. Esther lives in Sebastopol, California with her husband Larry, two dogs, two goats, and a goose. Well, welcome, Esther. Welcome to Women's Spaces. Thank you for your willingness and courage to come on and tell your mother's story. And is there anything else that you would like to add to your bio? 
No, I think that's it. Well, it's wonderful having you. And, you know, this is a very, I know, a very sensitive uh, subject, and it's also a very heartfelt subject for you. So talk a little bit about your childhood. Talk a little bit about when you first became aware of your mother's experience in Auschwitz and how that impacted your own life as well as her. And, you know, what were some of the actions that, that she took? I mean, some of the attitudes and ideas that were presented to you. Well, um, many, many survivors never talk about the Holocaust, but my mother talked about it all the time, every day. Um, and she started talking about it when I was small, and I didn't know what she was talking about at first, but um, then when I began to understand it, it was very upsetting because she was, you know, she would blame me and my brother for. Being in the Holocaust, she would say raising us was awful. It was worse than being in the Holocaust. And she was, I mean, because of her post-traumatic stress, which I didn't understand at the time, but it was, it was a very, very upsetting experience to, to grow up with her just because of her emotional tantrums and crying all the time. And, you know, I didn't understand it until I was older, so... Well, you know, when I, when, go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, one of the things, you know, you, you sent me the story, and one of the things that, as I was reading it, uh, I was looking about the different things that was happening. You know, she was born in a town. It sounds like she was born uh, in a town where it was very friendly and, you know, she felt like she belonged. And then all of a sudden when the Nazis came in and took over, all of a sudden the Jews became so they, – they became the instrument of a lot of pain. Can you just talk a little bit about – talk a little bit about – I know that there was the Nuremberg race laws and also that she had to wear a yellow star. Did she talk about those things? I I don't know. She might have. <laughs> After a while, I stopped listening to her because it was too upsetting. Um, but but what happened was that um, the Nazis invaded Hungary, and then the local people who had been friends with my mother's um, parents, because my parents, her parents owned a a restaurant um, store combination, and a lot of people bought things there and ate there. So the local police became instruments of the Nazis. So they turned against my um, my mother's family and other Jews because if they didn't, then the Nazis would kill them. And they were the and when my mother's um, family and my mother were taken away, it wasn't the Nazis that took them away. It was the local Hungarian police that um, boarded them onto the trains to the concentration camp. Oh, my goodness. You know, it, <laughs> it it gives you a kind of a ring. It gave me a chill when you said that because I'm thinking of our own policing here, all the issues that are going on. I mean, a young boy, another young boy was shot, 13 years old. You know, all the different things that are going on in our own culture and some of the violence that's happening. I mean, it kind of, you know, it kind of rings a, a little bit of a, of a familiarity. Well, we'll talk a little bit more. Well, it's, I, I just want to say it's a little different than the Nazis invading your village, you know, <laughs> and walking around with guns all the time and rifles so that they scare the local people. It's, I mean, it's violence, but it's a little different, too. A lot of intimidation. 
I mean, now what? every day, yeah, because they the local um, police had to do it because they would be executed by the Nazis. You know, so they took away my parents, my mother, and her family. How big was your family? How many members did she have, and what ha- what happened to them? Well, she had um, seven sisters and a brother who actually, um, he was freed, but she never saw him again. So she had seven sisters and their husbands and their children who were killed. And they were all killed in, in Auschwitz. And so what happened with your mother? She went to work for a, a, a company where they were building arms. How, how, did that, how did that take place? Do you know? Well, the um, Krupp factory was um, had a, a contract with the Nazis to build armaments for the Nazis. So they used slave labor in the concentration camp. So they that, that's how that happened. Well, well, you know, it's kind of interesting because when you watch uh, movies like Schindler's List, it, it looked like it looked like people that were able to work in those type of factories had a little bit easier. But it sounds like when I'm reading the biography that you sent me uh, on what you present, it didn't seem like your mother had an easy time during that time. It looked like food was still short and that they were treated. Yeah. Mis- Did- no, they, they called it extermination through work. That's they killed them um, by not giving them food, um, not giving them rest. So they still tried to exterminate them, but just a different way. So no, it wasn't an easy time, and it wasn't, um, a, and it wasn't a good thing for her to work at that um, Krupp factory. You know, I want to say Krupp uh, makes a lot of um, things, you know, household things, in, including coffee makers. So, you know, if you ever see a Krupp, then don't buy it because you know it was made on the blood of um, of Jews. Oh, it's just, you know, when you, when you look at history, you know, one of the things people need to understand and why history is so important, and that is because it tells you, it tells you what happened, it tells you what was good about what happened, it tells you what was bad about what happened, and maybe gives you a little room to start think of how, how you can avoid it. You know, and something like the concentration camps and the whole thing that happened in Nazi Germany is such an eye-opener. Because to me, as far as I see, it's as, it demonstrates exactly how low we can go as a human species, it's, and it's on film. I mean, you can you can watch it and see it. Would you Would you agree uh-huh. with Would you agree with that thought? Yeah, and there there's a lot of atrocities still going on. You know, genocide has not stopped. You know, with the Nazis. You know, in China and Russia and a lot of places still have genocides, and um, it's it's just a shame that, you know, all these are happening around the world, and, and here, you know, with black pe- people being shot all the time, I don't know how that's going to change. I don't know how that's, you know, how atrocities are going to stop, because people essentially hate each other, and they're not open to each other, you know, they hate each other on the basis of religion, cultural differences, race, and sex. And, and you know, even with all the education in the world, unless they meet each other and get to know each other as human beings, it's, it's, it's not going to stop. 
know. Well, you know, it's, inter- it's interesting that you say that. You know, when I do the I do the segment, our history is our strength. I try to point out the different ethnicity of the different women to let people know that it's not just one particular race or one particular idea that does things that try to improve the world it's a it's it's a conglomeration of many 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 different types of people well you know talk about you know it's it's, it's interesting when you were talking as i was reading the information that you sent me and i saw that you were really you learned a lot through the ptsd that was happening with the vietnam soldiers returning from vietnam you know my experience uh-huh. my experience was is i was very conservative at one time and I was the journalism major, and I interviewed 50 paraplegics from Vietnam, and they explained exactly what happened in the war and how they were not getting the care that they were supposed to get and the fact that they did have the PTSD that was not being treated. It was it was a real eye-opener for me that, that this was even happening to soldiers, and it gave me some understanding of my own uncle who had PTSD from World War II. So talk about what uh, how you grew to understand about your mother through experiencing, understanding the PTSD uh, that the soldiers were having returning from Vietnam? Well, when when the soldiers did come back, um, they described things that they were going through, like they were emotionally damaged and they were acting in bizarre ways. They had experienced shocking and dangerous events. They suffered from reliving trauma over and over again and had physical symptoms and reactions to bad dreams. And other symptoms included feeling tense, being easily startled, having angry outbursts, uh, you know, also negative thoughts about oneself or the world, disturbed feelings like guilt or blame, loss of interest in enjoyable activities. And I I was, I, I think, I don't know, maybe in my 30s or something when I, when, when, um, or maybe a little younger than that when the Vietnam War, um, soldiers came uh, coming back. And when I was reading this, I realized that my mother was going through all of these things. She had angry outbursts all the time. She was negative. She had guilt over losing her family, although she didn't say it outright. She didn't enjoy anything. And being in the concentration, she was in two concentration camps, so she had experienced shocking and dangerous events. And she lit, relived trauma every day. And she was, and she talked about it to her children. And, um, but, you know, I I was not living with her at the time. There was nothing I could do. Um, we had tried, and, and growing up, my um, aunt and uncle, my father's um, brother and wife, and um, didn't, they didn't know what she was going through. She just, They just thought she was acting like an angry child, and they just tried to soothe her, and they said, and they told me, oh, just don't pay attention to her, even though, you know, they're... my mother and I had these yelling matches in front of when my brother got married, and and his mother-in-law was a concentration camp survivor, and, you know, these angry outbursts and angry yelling, and, and I didn't know what was happening, and then when I found out what was that she had PTSD, it 
it was just too late. I couldn't take her to a therapist. She wouldn't have gone. So it was just sad all the way through for everybody. Did did you did you commingle with any other Holocaust survivors, or it was just pretty much an isolated time for her? Um, oh yeah, no my um, my mother had a few friends who were survivors, and they seemed a lot quote normal than my mother. But I don't know how. <clears throat> Excuse me, I don't know how they were in their private life, you know. Well, it sounds like it's... I don't It sounds like that one of the things that I really gleamed out of everything I read is the horrors of war, of what it does. And it doesn't just end when the war ends. You know, it's, it's, it's a lifetime thing. I mean, it's something you live with. I remember when I was working for CETA, a young man by the name of Al Lubliner came to me. And he said that we had to have this program for vets because they were coming back. They were, I mean, men were getting up in the middle of the night and screaming and beating their wives. I mean, it was, it was, it was crazy. And I said, well, you know, what's going on? And then they start talking about the war and about the PTSD. And it was, it was very, very new to me. But now, yeah. in, in, now in seeing it and understanding it, you know, you see how much care and how much work it takes to overcome that. And just thinking about your mother not having that available, you know, was probably really, you know, no help was available. And nobody, like you said, nobody liked to talk about it. So here she's going through all this stuff and nobody wants to talk about it. And it must have been an amazing, amazing thing. How, how did you end up? I mean, I mean, you, I mean, I've known you for a long time and I mean, I, I was, I was really stunned actually when I found all this out. I, I mean, you never appeared to, to be that uh, person who had, say, PTSD yourself. How, how were you able to cope? I mean, what were some of the things that you used? Did you go into therapy? Did you have friends? Did you talk to people? How did you cope with this? You mean growing up? Yeah. Well, I, I didn't. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I didn't. You know, for a long time, I didn't know that there were children of survivors. I mean, it. I mean, uh, growing up with my mother was very traumatic. It was extremely traumatic, and so I only concentrated with what was in front of my face, and I did not cope. I mean, I I would leave the room. I would go to the bathroom a lot. I would just not. I would try not to engage because it didn't do anything um years later you know years later when i was in my late 20s i found a that i was living in oakland and i found a, a therapist who who was very helpful and i also found a group of children of survivors who i didn't know anything about that and and then growing up i don't think there were any you know when the vietnam um, soldiers came back. There were programs for them, but I never knew of any kind of a program for survivors of concentration camps, you know, where they would get together and um, do anything. Um, I don't know how long this, this happened afterwards, but Steven Spielberg, Spielberg did, or his, his organization did a lot of interviews of survivors, and and so there's a lot on tape of people's survivors. And she actually, our family actually knew Steven Spielberg's mother, and 
she wanted to do the interview, but I don't know why she never connected, and I never thought about connecting them, and um, because it would have been easy, it would have been calling his organization, and but I mean, you know, the trauma of her was just never ending, and so I, <laughs> I just thought of it. I should have called them, but I didn't, um, and we we would go to. Her rest, the, Spielberg's restaurant a lot, and he she could have told, asked her to call her son and said, you know, she wants an interview, but I don't know, nothing, nothing happened. Everything was traumatic, and well, anyway, the good news so that was a lost opportunity. Well, the good news is is that you're here to tell the story, and I think it's very important that people understand, like I said, over, I'll repeat myself, war doesn't end when the war ends. There's, there's the inner yeah. wars that we all have, and it's very important to recognize that. Well, Esther, we're going to take a musical break, and then I have some more questions for you. I really appreciate you being on and talking. I know oh, it, sure. Thank you. It, it's a, I know it's a little bit difficult subject, but I think it's important that people understand this because... Because we have to stop sometime. We have to start looking at things and looking at how everything affects all of us in, in so many yeah. different ways. Well, the song I'm going to play is one another one of my favorite songs. It's called The Prayer of St. Francis. And the reason, the reason that I'm playing this song is I, when I listen to Esther, when I, when I read the, the papers and see what's going on, I think all of us need to just sit back and ask ourselves, how can we become an instrument of peace? What can we do? And oftentimes it takes meditation, it takes contemplation, maybe sitting and just listening to the song and giving you some ideas. So let's go ahead, Ken, let's play uh, The Prayer of St. Francis, sung by L.A. Hari, and after we will return once again, and we will be talking with Esther Freeman, we're talking about her mother, Bianca Ruiz, who was a uh, who was a Holocaust survivor, who spent a few years in, Holo- in uh, Auschwitz concentration camp, and fortunately survived. When we return, we will continue with that conversation. Go ahead, Ken.
make me an instrument of thy peace. I mean, that's what Women's Paces is all about, trying to educate, trying to get people to understand and look at life and see how they can contribute to make it a better world. Well, welcome back. You're listening to Women's Spaces, and I'm your host, Elaine B. Holt. And joining me on the phone, and we'll continue our conversation, is Esther Freeman, whose mother, Bianca, uh, was fortunate to survive the Holocaust, but unfortunate through the experience and how it caused her such emotional such emotional problems. Well, Esther, welcome back, and thank you once again. And, you know, it's really interesting because I've known you for such a long time, and you're such an activist, and you're so daring on so many levels. How do you think, do you think that what happened to your mother influenced you or or kind of motivated you to to look at the world and to to try to make it a better place? Well, I I think it was more about um, losing her family, you know, because um, she had a sister who survived, but, you know, they <laughs> they, uh, they both had tra- post-traumatic stress, so they always, when they met, they yelled at each other. So it was later on that, as I was becoming more involved in the world and more caring about the world, um, that uh, you know, that um, I I did things for my family, although I didn't really understand that. The, the first time that I got arrested um, after sitting at the federal building in San Francisco, we were sentenced to six days in jail. That was my very first demonstration and very first jail, little jail sentence. And when I... Um, I've told this a couple times to people because it was just very stirring that they put me in a cell and um, for the night and then there was and, the, and I was with other prisoners not with other activists um, but you could go out during the day but when they put me in the jail cell they slammed the door I mean because it slammed anyway and I had this remarkable experience that I felt I could hear it. I could hear my mother's family clapping and cheering me on. And that was an amazing spiritual experience that I could, I, I could hear them and I didn't expect it. And from then on, I just felt I was not just on a political journey, but on a spiritual journey. Um, in my activism. What do you mean by that spiritual journey? Well, I mean, because my, my, well, because my dead family was just guiding me to different things, I felt. Do you think you think you got the idea maybe of what it felt like? I mean, I remember I had an experience. I was a, I was arrested and I had to spend the night in jail and a woman was pregnant and her water bed broke, and I was I was kept yelling for the matron to come. You know, her water bed broke, and you know, the matron finally came in, took me by the shoulder, and pointed me to this padded cell, and said, "If I didn't shut up, this was where I was going to spend the night." And I froze, 
just thinking and it really because I don't know if I've ever told you this but you know my on my father's side of the family uh, my grandmother tried to get her family out of Poland during that time and they were very unsuccessful and that was always a, that was a story that constantly went on through my family not being able to do this not being able to free them not, all, all kinds of, of issues around that so do you think that's what happened kind of gave you that feeling of what it must have been like for your mother to be locked up that way uh, actually, no. <laughs> I I try not to think about my. I mean, no, I didn't really. So think it was just it was it was just more family. It was just more was, your family egging you on, saying, applauding you yeah. that you were doing something. Yeah, I mean, you know, I I went through a lot to try to become my own person, and um, I wanted to mention that um, what I've learned from children of survivors and. I'm among children of survivors now, too, being with the Alliance for the Study of the Holocaust, is that the trauma just doesn't last for the survivor. The trauma is also passed on to their children and their grandchildren. And it took me a long time to get that trauma out of me. And I still have probably a little bit, but it's not like it used to be. So, um, yeah, no, it's really had nothing to do with my mother, actually, um, maybe subconsciously, but, but it was more about this family that I could have had if they hadn't have been murdered. Oh, right, right. So that feeling, that feeling that, that you were actually doing something now. Yeah, because I, on my mother's side, except for one sister, I didn't have a, I, ha- I didn't have a family, and with her sister and my mother gone, I don't have any family on my mother's side at all. No, it's it's you really it's, it. It to me, it's just it's just fascinating how, like you said, it goes from generation to generation. It kind of never really yeah. leaves us. Well, one of the things that you've been doing that I think are really very was really amazing to me is that you've been presenting this information to middle and high school students, and uh, yeah. and and also you know one of the things that uh, I hope you don't mind, but I'm going to link on our website that people can read the story of your mother, the whole the whole story of what happened actually, because you have a really a good historical perspective here. But talk about oh, thank you. Talk about what happens when you present this information to. Uh, uh, high school and middle school students, you know, what what is their reaction? And also, on some on some level, how do you see today's migration, how you see that similar to the Holocaust? Well, as far as the kids are concerned, it's very interesting because um, I, I'll present my PowerPoint and, and, and script, and then I ask for questions, and they're very quiet. They don't ask questions. You know, some of the teachers would ask questions, but the kids are very, very quiet. And I know that I have presented to kids who's, who maybe they, and I bet that their parents are undocumented. I mean, I can, I'm just, because I've worked with undocumented people, and I, I'm sure that they were undocumented. And so they don't, share, they don't reveal themselves, but after I'm done, I've had kids come up, not all of them, but, you know, some kids will come up with to me, and um, one cool thing is that I, I have two little rings that my mother, 
you know, they're not valuable, but they're valuable because my mother got them at the at, at Auschwitz, and somehow she made she got them through another concentration camp because after that she was in Bergen-Belsen, and she, these two rings survived with her, two little goldish rings, and I show the kids these rings, and they come up and they want to touch them and hold them. And then, and then some kids are very verbal when they, when they're talking to me one on one, but not, not in the classroom. They're, they're really, really quiet. So, but I know they're, it's sinking into them, but you know, they're, <laughs> no questions. So, um, and as your other question about today's immigrants, they're, they're and migrants. I mean, they're very similar. I mean, my mother was homeless after the war, and and the migrants are homeless when they leave their country. You know, families are separated from each other. Whether it was my mother's being killed or their or the families, you know, being taken away from each other. Um, it's interesting. The migrants were turned away from the United. Are turned a lot are turned away from the United States. And my mother, as a survivor, um, at that time after after the liberation of, of Bergen Belsen, the United States didn't take any of the concentration camp survivors because they thought they were going to be spies for the Nazis. So they were turned away and. My mother went to Sweden and, instead of the United States. And migrants face prejudice when they're here, and there were the Jewish laws in Nazi Germany, and very prejudice. And another thing I was thinking about is that um, my family was murdered, but the government and the governments let the migrants die by crossing oceans in bad boats and in the deserts. They just let them die. It was like my mother being at the coop factory. It's, it's extermination by work, and this is extermination by, you know, letting them cross in bad boats, letting them die in the desert. It's extermination, essentially. So there's a, there's a lot of similarity. Um, you know, I, I allude to it when I'm when I'm presenting about the migrants having a hard time and that the kids are still quiet. They don't want to reveal their backgrounds. Well, also, you know, children, you know, that there's, you know, the thought of some of that stuff must be horrendous to them, especially if they're undocumented, the fear of their parents and something happening. I mean... Yeah. It's a sad yeah. situation. Well, we're coming to the end of the segment very, very quickly. And one of the things that I know that you are very big on is is talking about how, what are some of the ideas that you have, maybe maybe two or three, of how what people can do to prevent these atrocities from happening again. I mean, in our country right now, there is so much violence going on and so much division. You know, what are some ideas that you have after experiencing your growing up and then you went through the next phase of finding out other survivors and then your own activism? So any ideas? Well, I I really think that um, people need to meet each other and get to know each other and I think it starts in a neighborhood. I mean, we don't know a lot of our neighbors here. We live in a rural area. And it's 
getting to know your neighbors and then broadening broadening it to get to know your city, you know, so, you know, have groups to meet, to get to know each other of different races and cultures and um, religions. And I think it's because people don't really know each other. They, It's fear of the unknown, you know, why so many awful things happen. And so if people knew each other better, I think that's a very hard goal to achieve because people are just not into it. But, I mean, I think that that's what it would take, you know, to to get rid of some of these genocides. Well, it's interesting what you say. It's, it's so true. When you get to know people, you know, we all have ideas because we're fed so much information. And, and you know, uh, oftentimes what what people fail to recognize about the Holocaust is the whole thing was based on such propaganda. I mean, constant, the media yeah. took over and, and, and making the Jews the others, the bad guys. If we get rid of them, everything's yeah. going to be okay. You know, I mean, and, and it's not okay. I mean, we can't get rid of everybody. I mean, what, what are we going to just have one person on the planet and they happen to look and speak a certain way? I mean, it's, 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 uh, it's heartbreaking the, the way that yeah. we judge one another. Well, any yeah. last word? I think, I think a lot has to do with social media and the, the news, the, you know, the regular media that that is constantly talking about this is the other and this is the other, you know, so. And you know it's interesting. I remember when I was when I first was I was driving one day to um, visit Ken in uh, San Jose, and the the newscaster came on and said John Paul Getty had just died, and I said to myself, "My God, he was the richest man in the world, and he can't prevent his own death." I mean, we all share yeah we all share such commonality. Not only just that we all die, but we all need to eat, we all need water, we need uh, you know we're all yeah. pretty much the same. Well, we've come right. to the we've come to the end of the segment and. Any last words, Esther? And are you still giving the presentations? And if yes, how can they get in touch with you? Well, I'm going to give a couple of presentations. It's been hard um, hard with COVID because the schools are in shambles of whether to meet online or in person. So I have a a couple coming up. And um, they can also get get in touch with me through my email, which is Esther, but I still have the Hungarian it's E S like in Sam, Z like in zebra, T E R at Sonic dot net. Yeah, I noticed. I noticed in your uh, in your bio that you sent me of the information. I noticed that you're named after your grandmother. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I figured, yes. I finally figured out why. I always wondered why you spelled your name that way. So give the website. Yes, give, it's a Hungarian. Yeah. So go ahead and give your email one last time. Okay, it's Esther, the Hungarian, E, S like in Sam, Z like in Zebra, T, E, R, at Sonic.net. Well, Esther Freeman, I want to thank you so much for being on Women's Spaces and sharing your story and, and letting us know, you know, some of the things that can happen if we are not careful. You know, I often have said, you know, during the Andy Lopez situation, we have to pay attention because if one child's in danger, all children are in danger, and we're certainly seeing yeah. that. So thank you so yeah. much, Esther Freeman. And folks... 
that's it for our show. Special thank you to Esther for for sharing. Thank her, you. Oh, it was wonderful, Esther, for sharing her story of her mother Blanca, who survived the Holocaust of World War II. It is my hope that her story lets folks know what hate and fear can do with one can do to each and every one of us. All programs here are archived on www. Dot womenspaces.com. Also, I'm available for speaking engagements. And if you have any announcements like you'd like to have in the air, like a birthday or wedding anniversary, please email me at Elaine at womenspaces.com. Remember, our children are our future, and we must never lose sight of that. This is Elaine B. Holt, and you've been listening to Women's Spaces. She knows everything you do because of The previous Women's Spaces show was recorded on Monday, April 19th, 2021.